Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Faith Focus Weekly Discipleship Podcast. My name is Kevin Rognes, and I'm the Discipleship Director here at Faith Covenant Church. As always, I want to make sure to remind you to subscribe to our podcast, whether you're uh, watching on YouTube or listening on any of the major podcasting platforms, just to make sure that you're not missing any of the content that we put out on a weekly basis. So tune in every week. Um, we'll have something new for you uh, to listen to or watch. So right now we're in the midst of a uh, series on, of episodes on spiritual disciplines. So last week we talked about something known as dwelling in the Word, and that's just another way of getting into Scripture. Now, for the next several weeks, we're going to be going into a series, uh, or continuing the series on spiritual direction, or uh, spiritual disciplines, uh, by utilizing this book called Spiritual Disciplines Companion, uh, which was put together by Jan Johnson. She is a spiritual director, and so she facilitates people in their spiritual growth. So she put this together, and I just think it's a wonderful resource, and I want to shout out to my friend Kayla Sinning, because she was the one who brought this book to my attention and gave this to me. So um, thank you, Kayla, for the recommendation, and I hope it's something that we all get to benefit from. So today we're going to look at, um, there's kind of six different sections in this, uh, in this book about spiritual disciplines. So we're just going to look at the first one today. Um, we're also going to look a little bit at the introduction because I think she says some really uh, helpful things in this first part. And one of the first things she talks about is how um, she kind of is spending some time defining spiritual disciplines. And basically, spiritual disciplines are ways of connecting with God. And one thing I noticed right away is that she said, with God, not to God. Sometimes we think about connecting to God in the same way that we might plug in um, like a phone charger to the wall. It's electricity, we just plug it in and we get access to this and it comes out. That's not the case. God is a personal being, not some impersonal spiritual force. Um, and so connecting with God is a better way of phrasing it than connecting to God because there's a mutual relationship and a mutual connection in that. So I thought that that was something that was really helpful to think through. Um, she also quotes uh, famous writer Henry Nouwen. Uh, some of you may be familiar with him. Um, he's a Catholic writer that just wrote some really excellent stuff um, over the years. And one thing that he said about spiritual disciplines and how uh, well, spiritual disciplines can have a lot of different forms and look like a lot of different things. Um, but he talks about spiritual discipline, discipline as a practice that helps us practice how to become attentive to that small voice and willing to respond when we hear it. And I just love that kind of idea of it, of paying attention to that small voice of God that we have um, in ourselves and responding to that when we hear it. Um, when we hear the voice of God, we don't just sit with that and do nothing. It moves us into action of some form. So I, I really appreciated that. Um, Jan Johnson also breaks spiritual disciplines into two categories. And I think it's helpful to kind of think of those categories as well. And the first is a category of engagement. It's a thing that you do. So, for example, last week when we talked about dwelling in the Word, that is a practice of engagement. It is a way of doing something, a, ray, a way of reading 
the Bible and engaging with the text. The other category of spiritual disciplines is abstinence, things that you abstain from. So today, the first section of uh, things that were of spiritual disciplines that we're going to talk about is an abstinent uh, spiritual discipline. So these are things that you refrain from and say, okay, I'm not going to do this thing with my time so that I can do something else with my time. I'm not going to spend watching TV so that I can spend time in prayer. Something like that. Um, and another way that she phrases it, um, this uh, balance of engagement and abstinence um, in spiritual practice is this idea of breathing in, which is engagement. You breathe in these things, you do these things, and then you breathe out. You have your abstinence spiritual disciplines where you kind of exhale and kind of uh, minimize and reduce things in your life. And I thought that that was an interesting and helpful way of thinking through that. She also gave a list of ways in which spiritual practices help us. And I think that's uh, these are really well written, so I'm going to go through a few of these. So she writes that spiritual disciplines build our relationship with God as we acquaint ourselves with the ways of God. And it's possible, of course, to do these disciplines in a legalistic way and never bond with Christ. So that's kind of just getting at the idea of when we read our Bible, we read it for the sake of relational time with God, not just because we think it's a thing that we should do. She also writes that spiritual uh, disciplines build our trust in Christ. Some of the disciplines are uncomfortable. You have to go out on a limb. You try fasting and you don't die. You serve someone and it turns out to be fun and enriching. She then continues to say, they force uh, these spiritual disciplines force us to make little decisions that multiply. Your little to decision to abstain from watching a television show helps you to deny yourself and love others in all sorts of ways. Spiritual practices reorganize our impulses so that obedience is more natural. For example, if you have a spiritual discipline of practicing the presence of God, you may learn to automatically pray the breath prayer into thy hands when someone opposes you. Without your realizing it, your opponent is no longer an adversary, but a person God is dealing with or perhaps even speaking through in some way. The spiritual disciplines also help us eventually behave like Christ, but this is by God's miraculous work, not by our direct effort. And lastly, she writes that spiritual disciplines teach us to trust that God will do the work in our inner being through the power of the Spirit. Your spirituality is not about you. It's about the work of God in you. You get to cooperate in God's family business of transforming the world. And I really appreciate that phrasing of cooperating with God. Um, it's not something that we do. It's something that we partner with God in doing. And I think that that's just really something exciting. So, like I said, we're going to go throughout this series into six different um, sections that this book goes into about varying spiritual disciplines. And that first section is a section about solitude and silence. And these are things that um, are not very easy to do in our culture. 
it's very kind of abnormal in some ways uh, for people to spend intentional time alone in solitude or to spend time in silence. Our culture is filled with noise. We're constantly listening to music, to podcasts, television shows, movies, audiobooks. Um, it's also just hard to be um, to find spaces of silence in the world because there's just a lot of mechanical noise around. We have the noise of buildings and HVAC systems. We have, especially if we're living closer to a busy highway, um, highway sounds or airport sounds. Um, our world is very noisy. So it's hard to spend time in intentional silence to just listen to what God may be saying to us. So one thing that she writes about solitude and silence is that um, when we take time in solitude and silence, it means that we cannot accomplish the things that make us feel worthwhile. And we rest in the fact that we are of great worth to God. And I just really love that because this time of solitude is not about accomplishing something because sometimes we find worth in the things that we accomplish. Instead, it's just about spending time with God and realizing and remembering that we are of worth to God. And that is an incredible thing. So in uh, this section, she gives, um, she kind of breaks out the pattern of each of these sections into giving a couple of biblical examples of what these practices look like, um, some activities of things that you can do um, that are biblical, and then also some biblical um, precedents for what are the results of time spent with God in solitude and silence. So I'm gonna go through an example of each of these. Um, I'm not gonna go through every example that she lists because she does two of each. Um, I'm just gonna tell you what it is. Um, and then we'll go from there. So the first example that she gives of a biblical example of spending time in solitude and silence is with Jesus. Jesus does this a lot throughout the Gospels. And one example is in Mark uh, chapter 1, very early in Mark, uh, verses 21 through 39. So I'm going to read uh, through this passage and then make a couple comments as we go. So again, that's Mark 1. Chapter, uh, verses 21 through 39. They went into Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not like the scribes. Just then, a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. They were all amazed, and so they began to ask each other, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was laying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. 
When evening came after the sunset, they brought to him all who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he helped, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So right here, we have a lot going on. Jesus had an extremely full day. He starts off the day in the synagogue. He's giving teachings to the people who are listening there. And these teachings are astonishing people. They're like, wow, this guy is teaching with, some, with uh, authority, which is something they had not seen. Very busy, very noisy uh, experience. Then as that's happening, we have a man who's possessed by a demon who comes in and starts shouting, again, making, making noise. And Jesus uh, sends the demon out of him. Then, once they leave the synagogue and go somewhere else to uh, Simon and Peter's house, or Simon Peter's house, then Jesus is back at work healing uh, Simon uh, Simon's mother-in-law. And then after that, a whole bunch of other people. So the whole town comes, and people are being healed, and demons driven out of them. So it's a very long, busy day. We can certainly relate to Jesus in that. Many of us have our very long, busy days filled with activities. So then we pick up at verse 35, after this long, busy day. Very early in the morning, so the next day, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. So right here, Jesus says, I need to just get away and have some time by myself. I had this very busy day, and he goes to somewhere deserted where there's nobody else to just spend time with God. Find a place to be silent. It doesn't last long because in the next verse, 36, Simon and his companions searched for him, and when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go. On to the neighbor, neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. He went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So we see that Jesus does take time to himself to spend dedicated time with God. And that's very important. But that's not the only thing he does. That time of solitude and silence is kind of a launching pad for us to then go out into the world and do what God has called us to do. So it's a very important thing um, to spend time in solitude and silence, um, but it's not the only thing. We have to be then willing to go out and do things in the world as Jesus did. And uh, Jan Johnson said something, and this is kind of a concluding thought for... Um, not the concluding thought, but one of her thoughts on this uh, particular passage. She writes that solitude is the glory of being alone, while loneliness is the pain of being alone. Solitude is being alone with God, so it is not lonely. And I thought that that was something really beautiful, because sometimes um, we can kind of blur the lines between solitude and think that solitude is equal to loneliness. Loneliness is a very large problem in our society, but it's not the same as solitude. Solitude is intentional time with God, the glory of being alone. I thought that was really, really beautifully worded.
So the other example of somebody seeking solitude that she cites is from Genesis in Genesis 28 and Genesis 32, where we have two stories of Jacob um, spending time alone with God. In one of the stories, he has a dream from God, and that's kind of when God gives him the vision of making being made into a great nation. And then we also have the vision of, uh, or the story of Jacob wrestling with God and really spending time with God and, you know, getting into it and, you know, no holds barred and uh, just really having that kind of relationship with God where you can say anything. Um, so those are, t- uh, one. that's one more example of uh, a biblical um, time of aloneness and silence with God. So then Jan Johnson goes into giving us some possible activities of things we can do when we are taking that time of solitude and silence. And so one example is from Isaiah in chapter 30, verses 15 through 22. Um, Some of you may be familiar with this story. I'm not going to read this one, Um, but it's where Isaiah um, spends time in the cave, and then he's waiting to hear from God, and there's an earthquake, and there's all these kind of crazy natural things going on, but Isaiah didn't hear him in that, and instead... Isaiah finally heard him when God just spoke through a whisper when everything else was quiet. So I think that's a really potent story of just uh, what you can do um, to spend time uh, with God in solitude and silence. The one that we're going to look at instead is from Psalm 37 verses 1 through 11. And this is just kind of an idea of what can we do when we're alone with God in silence. And Jan Johnson suggests that we can practice delighting in God. And so it can look like this, again, looking at Psalm 37, verses 1 through 11. Do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong. For they wither quickly like grass and wilt like tender green plants. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you all your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act, making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. Be silent before the Lord, and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in his way, by the person who carries out evil plans. Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. For evildoers will be destroyed. But those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked person will be no more. Though you look for him, he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. And I think that this is just such a beautiful passage to meditate on, um, to just sit back and just delight in who God is. Be thankful for God and his character. Um, Spend time trusting God. The early verses talk about not being agitated by evildoers, by those who do wrong. That's a challenging thing sometimes. But we can take a step back and just say, I am going to trust in God. And that is something we can do in silence. Just sit back in silence and trust God. It's a beautiful thing to do. 
Then you might, uh, oh, and I do want to read one more thing that she wrote about that, um, about this part on um, just delighting in God. And she writes, according to Franz uh, Delicht, I'm not sure who that is, but um, another writer, uh, he who finds his highest delight in God cannot desire anything that is at enmity with God. And that person's will is thoroughly blended in love with God's will. Those who delight in God are focused on God and not on themselves. Such selflessness makes it easier for people to see righteousness in them, not self-righteousness. This often promotes non-adversarial encounters, which are more convincing than a competitive approach to others. So when we spend time in the silence and reflecting on God who is, it makes us more focused on God and less focused on ourselves. In the last section um, about solitude and silence, she writes about what the results of this time are with God. And so she cites the biblical example from 1 Kings 19, 1 through 18, um, which is all about just hearing the surprises that God can have for you. But we're going to focus on the passage from John 15, verses 1 through 16. Um, this is a very famous passage that we actually spent a lot of time in our sermon series last summer. So if you like, you can go through our YouTube channel and look at those. So in John 15, 1 through 16, it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified this by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples." So that's not the entirety of the passage. I just wanted to read that portion of it um, just because it expresses what we get when we spend time in solitude and silence. It shows us what the result is. When we spend time in solitude and silence, or as this passage describes it, remaining in God, we bear fruit. We are fruitful and we are proving ourselves to be God's disciples. We are growing, we are helping others, we are drawing closer to God. That is what we are hoping to do as Christians. And so that is what we can gain out of time in solitude and silence. It sometimes may seem counterintuitive to us because we often fill our lives with things. But this solitude and silence idea is one of those practices of abstinence, of just pushing things out so that we have space to receive what God has for us. 
So there's a lot that we can gain from solitude and silence, even though our culture is constantly kind of um, motivating us to fill our time and uh, read more books or listen to more podcasts and improve in those ways. So a couple more things that Jan Johnson writes here. She writes, God often challenges us with the need to love people more, to work harder, to live with more integrity, to prune our faults and live as Jesus lived. Sometimes God surprises us with a fault that no one has brought up in years. So sometimes um, the time in silence with God is a time of pruning where God takes away things from us. And sometimes we realize those needs in silence that gives us space to listen to what God has to say to us. She also writes that abiding in God must be in place if we are to obey wisely and faithfully. In solitude, we experience an interactive relationship with God, and through this, we are drawn into obedience. And I really love the way she phrases that because obedience is not something that we do by our own power. I have found that time and time again. The times when I am most obedient is in the times when I am most uh, deeply abiding in God. That is the key to it. So I'm I'm hoping that this is helpful content for you, that um, you can maybe give solitude and silence uh, maybe another try if it's not something that you've done much. Um, Some of you are very great with this. Some of this really um, is really uh, potent for you and something that you practice very easily. Some of us don't practice it very well, myself included. When I'm spending time in silence, I often question, okay, is that God's voice or is that what I want God to be saying? Or is that what I think God would be saying in this situation? Um, I also have tinnitus, and so my ears are just constantly ringing. So silence is difficult for me. But it's still something that I need to um, make time for in my walk with God. So that is, uh, there's always, of course, more to talk about with solitude and silence. um, But I hope it's just something that can motivate you to seek this out in a new and more intentional way. So... If you have any questions or any comments, um, please let me know. My email address is listed in the episode description, so please feel free to reach out. As always, thank you for watching or listening, and I hope you have a wonderful and blessed day.